Monday, and that so happens to be the day that I like to talk about monsters. Hello, and welcome to Monster Mondays. I'm Jeff Arbuckle, co-host of the weekly podcast, Film Seizure, that you can catch every Wednesday at FilmSeizure.com or at a number of podcast providers online. Godzilla 2000 made some pretty good money in 1999. If I have my calculations correct, it made a little under $30 million, which is not too bad for a Toho Godzilla movie, especially since they made the movie for somewhere around $10 million. With the film's success in true Toho fashion, a follow-up was immediately greenlit with a slightly larger budget. So, producer Shogo Tamiyama brought back the writers of Godzilla 2000, Wataru Mamura and Hiroshi Kachiwabara, and Godzilla vs. Megagirus was released around 11 months after Godzilla 2000. Now, this movie, well, it's hard to say if it's all that exceptionally well-liked by fans. Uh, and to be honest with you, initially... I was not one of those fans. I've not watched this film since the first time I checked it out about mm, seven or eight years ago because it's uh, mostly a little dull, or at least that's how I remembered it. But that's not to say that there isn't at least a few um, interesting elements here or there to this film. Uh, Namely, this film uses the same Godzilla suit as the Godzilla 2000 film did, but it is not a sequel. Again, this is a sequel to the 1954 Godzilla movie, but there's more to it than that. This movie does something really interesting to the original movie. It actually changes the conclusion. So get this, the original Godzilla film ended with Godzilla being killed by the oxygen destroyer. Of course, that same device would come back to haunt Big G again in Godzilla vs. Desotroya when it accidentally created the monster Desotroya. So, Godzilla was never destroyed originally, according to the timeline of this film, and the monster wiped out Tokyo, forcing Japan to relocate its capital to Osaka. So this is one of those fun things about these movies in this era. They were not afraid to try some really new and different things. Now, the co-starring combatant for this film, Megagirus, is not exactly a new creature to the world of Toho's kaiju films. Well, let me say sort of. The Megagirus is the queen version of a slightly different creature called the Meganulon and the Meganula. The Meganulon and the Meganula are both uh, versions of a dragonfly creature that kind of serves this queen that is the Megagirus. Now, while this is the first appearance of the royal version, the Megagirus, the Meganulon actually made their previous appearance and their first appearance in the Rodan film from the 50s. They were seen prior to the Rodan creatures hatching from their eggs. So these things go all the way back to some of the earliest of Toho's monsters. So do I like this movie a little bit more now having to revisit it? Let's find out here as we open this movie with newsreel footage that is ripped directly from the 1954 original film. However, instead of how he looked back then, It's his Godzilla 2000 look integrated into the original film footage. It's a neat little way that they connect the present of 
2000 to the original over 45 years earlier. And yes, Godzilla rampaged and moved on. Tokyo was rebuilt and Osaka became the capital of Japan. We then see historical footage of Godzilla attacking a nuclear power plant in 1966. This forced Japan to shut down all of their nuclear power plants to stop Godzilla from attacking and feeding upon the energy. The need for power and electricity was quite high though. All the green methods weren't enough, so the government formed the Bureau of Science and Technology to find new ways to create clean energy at a higher rate than all of those other types combined. They discovered a new way to create power based on plasma energy. This was extremely successful, but, well, dang it, Godzilla is undeterred by this. Godzilla arrives in Osaka in 1996 and starts wanting to feed on the plasma energy plants just as he does the nuclear power plants. By 2001, plasma energy is banned in Japan, so Japan has both a Godzilla and an energy problem. The Japanese Self-Defense Force, the JSDF, creates a new branch dedicated to stopping Godzilla called the G-Graspers. It's not just stopping Godzilla, but they want to completely eliminate him. This group of Godzilla fighters are creating a plasma-powered device that will create a miniature black hole that they plan to uh, just shoot toward Godzilla and it will suck him up and trap him forever. So they're going to launch the satellite and fire down on Godzilla and get him sucked up, right? So they have to recruit a guy to help them create a smaller black hole than what they can currently create now. Now one might ask how they don't plan to suck the whole planet into the black hole that they're going to create, but don't worry about it. That, that's what this new guy is here to figure out. Now, a few months later, the mini black hole cannon is ready for testing. And they test it out on a building, and it does what it should be doing. It successfully sucks the building up into oblivion. But the black hole collapses in on itself, and all appears to be working as, as expected, except before everything goes silent after the test, there is a little wormhole that's left behind that is a space-time anomaly. Later in that same day, the wormhole returns and allows a prehistoric dragonfly into the present to lay an egg before it returns to the past. A young boy who's interested in collecting bugs and moths and so on and so forth finds the egg that the dragonfly left behind and decides to take it home. But as time passes, it starts oozing goo. Just as you would whenever you have eggs that start oozing goo, the kid decides to throw it away. But he's actually a day early for garbage day. So, not to take it back home and have it potentially discovered by his parents, the kid decides to just toss it into the sewer. And just like that, it's not his problem anymore. Now, it's kind of hard to know if the kid shouldn't have tossed the egg away or if the black hole thing was a worse thing to have, have you know, happened to the world, but the egg starts to act bizarrely in the sewer as it seems to start splitting off into smaller globules from its own shell. 
soon water from the sewers and the drain system starts to leak and rise to the surface. However, giant gross bugs, the meganulons, have hatched from these little globules and started crawling around and causing all sorts of problems as they start to literally eat people. So what the story is with the meganulon is that the egg the kid dumped into the sewer, well, that was a really bad thing for him to do. That's because it caused the egg to grow as well as to split into those smaller eggs. Uh, it has that reaction with water. Now, the eggs hatch non-flying scaly bugs called meganulons. As they continue to mature, they molt and emerge as giant dragonflies called meganula. We'll see later that uh, what the meganula's job is, which is essentially to collect energy to bring back to their cocoon queen, the megagyrus. But the but for now, the G-graspers track and discover the whereabouts of Godzilla. However, the satellite photo picked up something else, something in the shape of a single meganula. They take off to investigate, and they do discover the corpse of a meganula, but shortly after Godzilla surfaces. Now, the leader of the G-graspers has to plant a tracking device on Godzilla to maybe more accurately track him and his movements. Now, as the satellite is prepped to be put into orbit to soon fire upon Godzilla, a coastal city has become completely flooded. This is so more of the Meganulon eggs can be hatched and for the Meganulon to molt into Meganula. So there are a couple of problems here. Meganulon have flooded and taken over a city and are hatching from thousands of eggs. Of course, the primary issue is that, God's, that Godzilla is still out there and still causing a lot of problems. But on top of that, the government has some pretty legitimate concerns over the black hole weapon, especially if it doesn't work all that well on Godzilla. The major domos of the G-Graspers kind of speak out of turn and begin to promise that the weapon will be ready and will work despite there not being enough tests having been run on it. The JSDF are split into two different missions. The first is to lure Godzilla to an island so that he can come out onto dry land so that the black hole weapon can be fired upon him. And the second group is to destroy the eggs in the flooded city, but uh-oh, those eggs have already hatched and the Meganulon have already grown up into Meganula. The Meganula are attracted to the energy signature of Godzilla. So the newly hatched and matured Meganula fly off into Godzilla's direction. Just as the G-Graspers are planning to fire the black hole weapon down onto Godzilla, the Meganula arrive to swarm Godzilla. And this swarm makes it impossible for them to get a positive lock for the black hole weapon to target Godzilla. But the G-Graspers command team decide to just go ahead and fire it away without the lock. This, as it should not be a surprise, doesn't work too well. On the ground, Godzilla is getting a bunch of Meganula landing on him and kind of sucking out some of his energy from his body. Godzilla seems to be a bit outmatched by the sheer number of these flying creatures, as he really can't seem to shake the little buggers or get them off of him too easily. But eventually, he decides to go with the atomic breath and starts wiping out several of the Meganula. The black hole weapon is indeed fired upon Godzilla, but it doesn't do anything. The weapon missed, and it can't be fired again until it cools off in about an hour. 
The surviving Meganula take off and head for an underwater cocoon where it decides to feed that cocoon the energy f collected from Godzilla. And so soon, this cocoon will hatch and we will see the Queen Megagyrus. After transferring the energy, the Meganula die, having served their purpose. And some hours later, the Megagyrus emerges from the cocoon and creates destructive forces from flapping its wings at a supersonic speed. Godzilla and Megagyrus converge on Tokyo where they face off. The bug is able to get in a couple of good licks on Big G at first, as per the usual in these movies. And the G-Graspers decide that they need to try to use their black hole weapon on both the monsters and get basically two birds with one shot. However, Megagyrus does that supersonic wing thing and it causes all sorts of problems with the G-Grasper systems. They're forced to struggle with that as Godzilla and Megagyrus continue to fight in Tokyo. Between teeth and talons and stinger, Megagyrus really does literally stick it to Godzilla and even causes him to not be able to use his atomic breath by sucking a bit of his life force from him. However, as per the usual in these movies, Godzilla shakes it off and decides he's had enough of this bug shit. Using some nifty tactics, he is able to slice off one of Megagyrus' claws. He then sticks the stinger into the ground to trap the creature and then body slams Megagyrus into a building. Just when the tide appears to be turning to Godzilla's favor, Megagyrus unveils a new power picked up from sapping life stuff from Godzilla the ability to create a ball of energy. That only works for a brief amount of time because on the next attack, Godzilla catches the stinger in his mouth and rips it to shreds, leaving the bug defenseless. Godzilla blasts the bug out of the sky, ultimately completely destroying it. Now with no enemy to get in his way, Godzilla begins rampaging through Tokyo, as he will do, and the G-Grasper's black hole weapon appears to be damaged beyond repair. In fact, the satellite carrying the weapon is plunging into the Earth. Now, even though it is falling out of orbit, the firing mechanism becomes functional again. The major of the G-Graspers decides to use herself as the target, and she'll fly over Godzilla to make it possible for the weapon to lock onto something. She bails out just before the craft crashes into Godzilla, Godzilla fires his atomic breath at the black hole, and it creates a big explosion, and Godzilla disappears. But maybe Godzilla isn't as much of a thing in the past as they believe uh, when new seismic, re seismic readings start to appear in the ocean, signifying that Godzilla may have returned. Now, admittedly, this is a much better entry than I originally remembered, but it's not without some problems or things that don't quite make this as much of a fun of a, of a watch as the other modern High Sayer Millennium entries. However, it's not nearly as dull as I once thought it was. So with that, let's get to my three things that I like about Godzilla vs. Megagyrus. The first is the overall creepy crawly feel uh, that, that really kind of almost feels like a, like a horror movie in the early portion of this movie. The original Meganulon that laid the egg from the past is not really all that well seen. We see a silhouette and then we see it flying away back toward the wormhole that it arrived through. Then our first look is only the head of a Meganulon as it sticks to the side of a building. Finally, 
when it starts attacking people, it's fairly gnarly by first apparently maybe ripping a guy up pretty good and then just snatching his girlfriend. Uh, we even get to see it molt and emerge fully formed with wings and that dragonfly style body. It's a fairly gross specimen and it's rather vicious when it attacks. It kind of gives this new dimension when it comes to having monsters interact with people because um, the Meganula are much more intimate in terms of the, you know, they're not, they're large, but they're not on the scale of Godzilla or the Megagyrus. So people are, you know, they're not ants to it. They are able to directly interact with people uh, and attack them and eat them. And I assume the people who don't like bugs probably won't like this movie too much either. Now, second, I actually like the idea of changing up the past of the original film to tell the sequel. The original Godzilla didn't die. He just, well, he just went away. He continued to come back over the years and continued the struggle for humans to figure out how to coexist with this creature. As he would appear to shut down any power plants and sources that wouldn't be natural, like water, uh, solar, and wind, he was serving more as a warning against humans tampering with powers they can barely control, if at all. So again, it's Godzilla as a creature more linked to nature correcting a problem than being something that man created or something similar to that concept. Godzilla serves as the planet's defense against the most evolved species getting a little too smart for their own good. And maybe this movie serves as less an environmental lecture about being kind to what the planet offers us and so forth, but maybe more of a lesson in us being too dependent on lights, billboards, computers, and, and just the general use of power that we tend to have. Now, even one of the characters mentions how plasma energy development, which he continues to do even though he's not supposed to in Japan, um, you know, he, would, he sees that development as a way that would make Japan extremely wealthy, and that feels like a bad motive for continuing to study something that could bring about death and destruction. Now third, and this is a little weird, I admit, I like that there's not really any, any truly likable human characters in this. Now that may sound a little backhanded, but I don't mean it as much. This movie has a much more has much more complex characters than Godzilla 2000 did. In that movie, you had a fairly good dad and a really smart daughter, and they teamed up with a reporter who wants to do something good for herself, but not really in a truly selfish way. Then, on the other side, you have the organization that maybe is tampering with things a little too much and want to kill Godzilla. Here, you have, in this movie at least, you have three people who are operating from the more negative base human drivers. One is a soldier who was once a little impetuous, who was saved by her commanding officer only at the cost of that commanding officer's life, and now she's pretty hell-bent on killing Godzilla. You have a scientist whose co-workers and friends were killed in a Godzilla attack at a power plant who states that she is all for destroying Godzilla to make sure that the losses that she suffered would not be suffered by anyone else. And really, you would think that that's some kind of superhero type of mission statement, 
but it feels like it's very single focused that all she wants to do is kill Godzilla. But then you have the other guy who's interested in keeping something that was supposed to be banned because of Godzilla's tendency to be attracted to massive amounts of power in order for the country to be enriched by it. Now, that, that scientist may seem like it's kind of altruistic in her uh, methodology and what she is thinking about. Um, and, and particularly when you think about it from the pain of loss in these attacks that happen. But Godzilla isn't exactly acting like a bad guy in this movie. It makes you think these characters are kind of putting their own interests ahead of others. And certainly ahead of nature's balancing actor, which is Godzilla himself. That adds a little bit more dimension to these characters that, while I suspect we're supposed to be rooting for them, we're kind of left wondering exactly why we should be rooting for them, because soon enough, they show some interesting decisions that they make due to their own personal interests. So, while it seems like a negative, and not something that I should like, it actually does make it to one of my three likes for Godzilla vs. Megagirus, because it shows that some of these characters may not be necessarily the heroes that we're supposed to think that they are and it helps you ask questions about motivations and so forth and it makes them a little bit more realistic so that brings about the end of this week's episode stay tuned because we keep this millennium era theme rolling with the fourth entry of the period godzilla against mecha godzilla and you can catch new episodes of monster mondays each monday at filmseizure.com and you'd uh, don't forget to follow Film Seizure at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to Film Seizure to get uh, both the Film Seizure podcast and Monster Mondays at your favorite podcast providers, as well as YouTube. You can also check out my website, bmovieanima.com, to read new articles every Friday morning. But until next time, stay spooky. <laughs>